Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. You know, when we work on coming up with guests for the program, Justin and I sit down and talk about, you know, who out there is doing some interesting things or writing about interesting things that we think would be beneficial to you. And we found someone, and he is on the program today, and it is Rand Fishkin. If you want to look him up on LinkedIn, go right ahead, but I'll give you a little bit of what I know as I've gotten to know Rand. He is one of those college dropouts, you know, who leaves college and becomes an entrepreneur and starts a high-tech company and eventually builds that company and moves on to the next uh, thing. So we're going to talk a little bit about that career journey later on in the program. But what I like about Rand's story and why he's on the program today is he is an expert in SEO, and he started his career when he left school to work with his mom. And from there, went on and started a company called SEO Moz, and then later on created another company following in the same path, which is Moz, M-O-Z. And it was at that company that he was at for about 14 years that he really fine-tuned and developed his expertise in SEO. And, you know, I know at, at DemandGen, we don't do much of any paid advertising uh, online. All of our inbound uh, and outbound marketing has fortunately been successful based on our content strategy as well as our SEO strategy, which, you know, if you search for Demand Gen, you're going to find us. If you search for Eloqua Consultant or Marketo Consultant, you're going to find us. So we spent a lot of time making sure that when you search for something we think we can help you with, that you land at Demand Gen. But it is an art and a science, and I thought, why not have an expert in this area share with you um, not only some lessons that he's learned and expertise he has, but also where he sees SEO going and and where it is today. So without further ado, I just want to introduce our guest. And Rand, thank you for joining me on the program. Yeah, my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Anything about your background that I that I forgot that we haven't covered together? Uh, it's not important. Let's let's get to the SEO tips. All right, let's <laughs> let's dive in. So you know, I would just say to you that when I first you know was learning about SEO myself. You know, I, I looked up online, you know, Google tips and even Netscape uh, tips back in the day and that type of stuff. So I'm really limited to what's been published online, certainly don't have your expertise um, and feel in some ways fortunate that I've been able to have some of the success that we have had. But um, in today's day and age, what are your, what are your thoughts on where, how SEO has evolved and, and where would you, if you were starting out to optimize site direct people? Yeah, sure. So I, I think that one of the, you know, one of the interesting things, potentially frustrating things is we've got a confluence of two big trends. One of the big trends is that SEO has lost its sketchy black hat reputation that it had for, gosh, probably 15 years, you know, from 1997 until even 2011, 2012, a lot of people thought of SEO and they thought, oh, that's manipulative. That's against Google's guidelines, you know, that's sort of um, black hat and sketchy and spammy, and I don't want to be involved with that. And today, just in the last really four to six years, every major corporation uh, in the United States and, and many of the ones around the world have an SEO department. 
um, you know, SEO consulting is seen as a perfectly legitimate and valid way of doing marketing. When you say that you do SEO, no one says, oh, that's sort of sketchy or spammy anymore. Um, I don't want to say no one, but very, very few people comparatively to when I got into the field. And at the same time that that's happening, there is a plateauing of the opportunity available from SEO. Tell me more about that. Yeah, that's not to say that's not to say that there isn't opportunity anymore, right? We're we're at the crest of when there has been the most SEO opportunity available, but uh, we have started to see the slowdown in the growth of search mm-hmm. and the growth of searchers uh, because there's just not you know there's not that many more people to reach with you know with mobile phones and with um, with desktops and laptops at least in in developed countries. And, you know, I think in the developing world, there's still a lot of fast growth and obviously Google and Facebook and organizations like those are making big inroads there. But uh, in countries like the United States, yeah, not so much, right? You, you pretty much have all the searchers you're going to get. And most of us are performing, you know, near the maximum number of searches that, that Google's going to get from us, um, which I think is why they're expanding into things like voice assistance and, you know, uh, other kinds of technology and other revenue streams. But uh, besides that, Google is also at the same time taking a ton of the search query uh, responses for themselves. So if you Google, you know, weather and your zip code, you will get a box from Google that tells you all about the weather and gives you all the details. You don't need to click anything. Right. If you search for, you know, how many people live in Colorado, you'll get an answer from Google. You don't right. need to click on a website. Right. If you search for um, cereal brands, you'll get a scrolling list of cereal brands. You don't need to click anything. It has changed dramatically. I remember when I was overseas recently on vacation and needed to do, you know, like euro to U.S. conversion or pound to U.S. conversion, just like your your point. You know, back in the day, there was a website that had a calculator, right? So you searched and then you went to the website and you put in your calculator. But right now... Google just gives you the answer, and and you mentioned voice, which I'm a huge fan of the the voice input phenomenon, and you know Alexa and Hey Google can give us answers without taking us to destinations. It's it's changing dramatically, and therefore affecting marketers because people are not necessarily arriving at the destinations that we wanted them to. Yeah, so you put all these trends together, right? And you say, gosh, uh, growth in search is slowing. Growth in number of searchers is slowing. Uh, the number of queries that Google's answering themselves, right, taking for themselves, is growing massively. The opportunity for SEO is, for the first time uh, in, I think that started basically last last November. For the first time, you know, every six months we sort of look at clickstream data, and the first time that that was lower than it had been the six months prior, uh, and that had never been true in sort of you know probably in twenty years of, of search. So I think that, uh, I think that SEO is an incredible opportunity still. Um, but it is one that is not growing as fast as it has historically. And we're probably seeing a time when the level of competition is going to increase such that it will, you know, not, not necessarily soon and not in every sector, but it will become, uh, less of a high return on investment opportunity compared to where it has been historically. So given these trends, would would you change the advice and recommendations that you've been making to marketers and, and website uh, administrators in the past? 
Yeah, I would say that historically SEO is a great way to get started. So if you're launching a new product or trying to reach a new audience, SEO is a, a wonderful place to begin your web marketing tactics. And now I think it's more of a great place to build upon previous successes. So I think that you know, you should work on things like PR and audience building and content marketing and brand awareness prior to investing in SEO, or at least prior to focusing hard on trying to get those top rankings. And that's just because SEO now is biased and, and builds off of success in these other channels, right? Google wants to rank brands that people have heard of and are comfortable with, that people want to click. Uh, Google is definitely giving a bias to bigger brands over smaller brands. That's been true for a long time. Um, if you can earn links and attention and awareness naturally outside of search, you will benefit in search from that. And so it's sort of a you know, reverse of the order of operations that I would previously recommend to someone in marketing. Yeah. You know, I, I find that still the basic building blocks are, are relevant, at least from my experience. I'm curious to get your perspective. So, for example, um, I recently put up on LinkedIn that I joined the board of a program called uh, Nonprofit uh, ArtOutOfAshes.com. And we are raising money for the fire victims uh, from the Sonoma County Fire in uh, October of last year. And so, you know, if you search Art Out of Ashes right now, even though, you know, the titles of the pages are properly done, the domain is there, um, certainly all the content on the website is there, it really wasn't until the San Francisco Chronicle and other online publications started linking to the site and covering the site that all of a sudden the SEO rankings really popped up. Even though we did everything and we didn't have much competition for the terms, that's when things you know really changed. So you got to do all the basics, but those link backs are, are critical. You, do you still see yeah. like that recipe of success? Yeah, I think that's very, you know, very classic SEO, right? I think we, we could have that same conversation like 15 years ago, right? That, gosh, you know, I did everything right on the website, but it wasn't until I started earning links from reputable places that Google ranked me anywhere. And that's absolutely the case. Links are still powerful. Keywords are still important. Titles still matter. The content still matters, obviously. I think that the the differences in the level of competition around everything, right? So for a particular brand name, like Art Out of Ashes, it's fairly unique, right? Not a lot of people are um, searching for that and, and finding something different. You don't have a ton of competitors who are trying to, you know, steal those clicks from you. But, you know, if you were trying to rank for um, best tennis shoes or um, air conditioner installers, uh, you know, those are, those are going to be high, high competition types of phrases and a lot of people searching. And so, uh, the the building blocks that you'll need to get right before you can have opportunity in those spaces is even more yeah even more intense. Awesome. Well, we we discovered you ran when we uh, came across what you're doing with SparkToro, which which seems like my math professor used to call it the reflipical, you know, reciprocal when he was teaching math. It's it to me, it's a little bit of the reflipical because now you guys are creating basically a search engine for finding your audience. So instead of your audience finding you, you're flipping it on its head and saying, "Okay, I want to reach this audience. Where where are they on the web? What what sites are they going to?" And and such. So that's that's how we found you because the idea was intriguing. But I would love for you to explain more about SparkToro than. Um, what we've discovered. So 
I guess maybe start with how the idea came about and where you guys are taking it. Yeah, yeah. So certainly it was an, it was based on my experience at Moz, right? In my last few years there, I was uh, obviously still talking to and helping a lot of organizations with SEO, and I speak at a you know tremendous number of conferences and events every year, and found that many folks were encountering this challenge of I'm building a product or a business and no one's searching for the thing that I offer. So how do I reach my audience if search is not the way? Um, and one of my favorite examples, is a company, a startup company here in Seattle called CrowdCow. And um, my apologies to your vegetarian listeners, but they uh, they work with uh, small farms, uh, small um, ranchers all over the United States and uh, basically raise very high quality uh, cows for beef. And then they'll, you know, go sell you a phenomenal ribeye or uh, whatever you're looking for. And you can have it shipped to your house. And uh, and the steak is awesome, right? It's very, I think it's a lot like uh, wine or whiskey or coffee, right? Where once you get into it, you realize, oh gosh, this tastes very different from this other thing. And so they've been, you know, leaning into this craft beef movement, but they found that almost no one searches for craft beef, almost no one searches for buy steak online, right? So they, instead of trying to rank well for existing searches, they have to go find their audience and create demand, right? Demand generation is the name of their game. And in order to do that, they need to figure out, A, who their audience is, but B, where does their audience spend time? What podcasts are they listening to? What YouTube channels do they follow? Uh, who do they pay attention to on LinkedIn and on Twitter? And uh, what blogs and websites do they read? What, what magazines are they reading? All those kinds of questions. What, what events do they go to? What cities do they live in? Uh, and those, those are challenging research projects that take many weeks or months and require a lot of surveys or contracting a big PR firm. Um, and as we watched people do that process, I realized that software should help, right? This, it felt ridiculous to me. It felt like, hey, you should just be able to type in, you know, chefs in on the West Coast and it should show you, this search engine should show you, here are all the publications and yep. people that chefs pay attention to. Yeah, And so that's what we're trying to build. Nice. It seems like it had legs as well, uh, where you talk a lot about in a recent post, which I enjoyed about Twitter accounts and t Twitter followers and like what's the <laughs> real sure. value of a Twitter account. You talk about you and, and your wife, I believe. Yeah. Um, so in what you're building with Spark, how much of the tool set uh, is where it is today and, and where you're looking to, to take it? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a brand new company. You know, we just, we just started a few months ago, just raised a round of funding, and uh, we will be at least six to nine months away from having any kind of product. But, um, but yeah, it's been exciting and fun to, to build the technology and to talk to folks who are in this space and have these problems and... Um, you know, our experiments so far have suggested that this is this is a solvable problem that technology can do. Nice. And for those of you who uh, have either started your own company or maybe think about starting your own company someday, Rand is a giver and put up uh, all the docs on the website that he used for his own fundraising and took I would, not a Kickstarter. How would you how would you describe the approach of of going out there and sourcing your you know kind of crowdsourcing your investors? And then, as I was just mentioning, you published the doc set that you use, saving, saving people a lot of, 
lot of legal fees if they want to go down the same path. But um, definitely not conventional. How to work? Yeah. So basically, I um, obviously have you know raised a tremendous amount of money for Moz and was frustrated by the, I think the statistics and the mathematics of how. Uh, institutional funding, that is to say venture capital and private equity capital operate um, in that they don't they don't have a lot of room for this company is very successful and very profitable, but not, you know, IPOable, not very exitable, doesn't have a, you know, doesn't have hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue or isn't isn't a unicorn. And those, you know, those companies uh, don't work very well in an institutional funding model. Um, and I think a lot of startups don't know what they're going to be when they first start out, which makes sense, right? You know, you and I go build a new company. We don't know whether it's going to be a billion dollar unicorn or whether it's going to be a few million dollars a year with high margins or, you know, a $50 million a year company. Um, and so it seems insane to me that you raise money from sources that can only win if you become that, that very outlier result. Uh, which is why we went this sort of very unique middle ground approach where we raised money from, I think, 36 uh, angel investors, but using a very unique doc structure that allows us to us and our investors to make money um, in a lot of those different scenarios. And I, I won't get into the details, but if folks are interested, you can check that out on on the Spark Toro blog. Awesome. I, I really value your book, uh, too, which is, um, you know, I think a lot of us who live in Silicon Valley, right, um, I'm watching my kids grow up, you got guys like Mark Zuckerberg, right, who, you know, put together a website, come up with an idea, wanted to be more socially connected uh, at school, and fast forward. Is that, is that, was, is that really I, I why he started it? <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> maybe feeling left out. I don't know. Mark and I have never sit down and have a chat, so... There's an open invitation, Mark, if you want to chat. You know, from from the stories I know, uh, let's just say it led him to putting a site together and fast forward and, you know, one of the richest people in the world and certainly one of the most well-known brands uh, and a company that's, you know, maybe until late doing very well in, in the markets and had a lot more ups and downs. But that is not the typical startup story that it's it's not and you know you peel back the curtain on that right and really share what it's like to try to get a business off the ground and and get broke and get in debt and have people coming after you and a lot of sleepless nights and working really hard on the idea and refining the idea your story moves along to right building a 50 million dollar company and having that success but it, it doesn't come easily it's a lot of hard work. We just celebrated our 11th year anniversary, and I'm, I'm sure from the outside world, it looks like, wow, Dimension, just a rocket ship, right? But they don't know every single day the challenges you go through building and scaling uh, an organization. And I love your point, and it's, it's dead on truth. When I started the company, I had no idea that the company that we have today was going to be the company that I you know, envisioned back then. You, you, I just wanted to build a really great company, and what, you know, I defined what great looked like and certainly had a mission. But how we got there and where we are today, I, I, you know, that, there was no business plan that charted this course and got there. It was um, staying in the right direction and staying true to your, your core values and hiring great people, which to me was, has been the most important ingredient in our success was finding people true to our mission and purpose and, and had a skill set and expertise that could take our company to the next level. What, what were some of the lessons that, that you've shared in Lost and Founder? Um, that you think uh, 
still top of mind for you today? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I spent, uh, I spent some time, you know, thinking about what, what sort of book I wanted to write. And, and I think that rather than trying to focus on one particular topic, uh, Lost and Founder is really sort of 17 topics that are tied together by this story, right? This journey of, of building the company from, from zero to where it is today. And, you know, we, yeah, to your point, go through, I go through a number of, of things around, you know, um, building a company, scaling, hiring, making a lot of mistakes on what kinds of people we hire and how we hire, um, how we fire people, uh, how we should fire people, um, developing core values. And, you know, Moz is sort of um, well-known in, in its field, at least for, uh, for tag fee, which are the, the six core values that that company has. And a number of other companies have adopted those. And um, I talk about the development of that and, and where that comes from, how it's worked and not worked, and what we've done wrong in that. Also talked about raising raising money. And uh, I think a lot of people who are in the services world, you know, kind of look over the fence and say, oh, the grass is so green on the product side. And uh, and that's not always the case. So I, I walk through a lot of the finances of, you know, what it's like to build a services firm and how many of many of my friends and colleagues who are in services world are actually um, financially much better off than myself and many people who've built, you know, what might be called successful or at least very high revenue product company companies. And uh, and I think that always shocks folks. Like, wait a minute, you have a fifty, you started a fifty million dollar a year company, you own twenty percent of it, you know, you raised thirty eight million dollars, and shouldn't you should have some money? And you know, and we have some money, right? Obviously, but I think my my Friends who built a one million dollar a year consulting business are always surprised when they have more, uh, you know, personal income. Bigger doesn't always mean you know that that the founders are are making that much more money, right? You, yeah. If you're going to invest in growth, if you know the lessons, right? If you're going to invest in growth, you invest in your company and um, hire great people. Um, what's yeah. what's one thing? I'm sure there's a lot, but like from that journey that you had and lots of lessons. What's one thing you're doing differently at SparkToro that that um, took away a lesson from? Uh, I mean, one of the biggest things for sure is that I think we are much less focused on premature attempts to grow and scale. Um, so, you know, we raised this $1.3 million round and we are spending almost none of it. You know, it's really just sitting in the bank as we, um, I'm not taking a salary right now. Casey is, um, taking one, but, but a you know, relatively small one compared to his last few years of earnings. And uh, we're trying to validate and build everything that we can, the two of us, um, before we try and, you know, uh, execute on that. I think taking a much, much more conservative approach to building a company um, versus kind of when you raise venture, you're, you're encouraged to go very quickly, right? Because they have a return time frame for their limited partners. Um, and we're not bound by that. I think that... Uh, that's definitely a big one. Another big one for sure is that at Moz, I tried to do many, many things. And I think that a lot of companies, a lot of people in all sorts of roles are uh, distracted by trying to do many things well at once. And I don't, I don't think that's truly possible. I think that focus is actually key to success and, uh, and one of the big cheat codes for you know, having a great product and having a great business is to be extraordinarily focused. Um, and so that's something that we are, we are trying to do as well, not get too excited about, 
you know, 10 or 15 different things, but stay extremely focused on this one thing, solving this one problem well. No, it's good. Good advice. Uh, you, it is easy to get distracted and go in many different directions. And um, very difficult when, you know, small number of, of people on the team and limited resources. And so it's uh, good to share. Well, hey, I hear some crazy truck behind me in the parking lot. I don't know if you can hear <laughs> yeah. it, but I'm going to assume other people can hear it. So I'm going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining me. Uh, I encourage you know uh, all of you to go you know keep an eye on Rand and what he's doing. No doubt, uh, an expert in the field of SEO and something that we still all can always learn about. But it'll be watched to see how your your platform evolves. And hey, we as marketers are always struggling to find our buyers and to connect with those buyers. So for you to just take that inverse perspective will be fun to watch and and give us a way to go find our audiences. So good luck to you and the venture. I'm going to keep in touch and, and track how you guys are doing and really appreciate you coming on the program. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. We will catch you on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 